the day and I'll go to school tomorrow. First impressions are incredibly important. Honey, you can make a wonderful first impression. Brenda, how could you? He was a jerk, okay? I've made my choice and I choose me. North South Connection podcast fans, welcome back inside West Beverly High for 902 and Noso. I am JT, and joining me on this chronological rewatch podcast series of Beverly Hills 90210 is my partner, Tim Capel. Tim, how are you? JT, doing real good. You know, this podcast lately has been fitting like a glove, I feel like. I think mm-hmm. we've got another very exciting outing with a brand new guest. God, we do, and it's tough because that. I mean, it felt if we just ended on that last one, I probably would have been satisfied. I know, right? Because uh, that what a peak uh, that was between our guest Rocco, who was amazing, and then the episode itself was incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, I, for those that didn't made out of listen or debuting here, I went I went the full ten out of ten on that bad boy uh, last episode. So we're flying high coming into episode eight of Barely Hills now. It's went out from season one. No doubt, and I absolutely contemplated the 10 myself. I, I feel like um, you were kind of talking me up towards it, and um, I don't know, I feel like I still reserve my right to maybe change it. If anything, I will be bumping that one up, perhaps, as, as we uh, continue this watch through Season 1. And, you know, we mentioned that we had an amazing guest last episode, and I think we have one that's going to stand up the test of time as well here tonight. Uh, he is the co-host of the Viewer's Choice podcast right here on this very feed and co-host of the brand new WWE War podcast along with me on this very feed. And that is Mr. Marcus Fuller. Marcus, how are you? Hey, guys. I am super happy to be here. And uh, after last episode, uh, I would consider that to be a peak. And after every peak, you know, you need a valley. So <laughs> I am here to level us off <laughs> and, and, and reset the table. I say it could be more of a plateau than a valley, so we'll see. Yeah, we go. Yeah. Plateau's okay too, and I should mention also the co-host of the Final Wrestling Place podcast on the uh, yet soon to be named network, along with the Tool Man, not the Tool Man Tim Taylor. In my heart, right. he's the Tool Man. I don't, I don't recognize Tim Allen as a person, so <laughs> <laughs> valid. <laughs> I uh, when I worked with my old uh, media company and A&E was our client. I saw that fucking biography on Tim Allen so many times. Like they aired that thing constantly. I had to watch it. So I do his whole <laughs> damn life story, the drugs and everything else. And then all the yeah. home improvement clips and Santa Claus and everything else. But anyway, he's not right a here. person. He's, he's just the voice of Buzz Lightyear, but he's not a person. Yeah. Fuck that. Um, yeah. Not so, for long. <laughs> that's true. <as> well. <laughs> We are uh, not here to opine on the filmography of Tim Allen, but we are here to talk now that we season one, episode eight. And Marcus, as is the standard before we dive in, uh, we usually ask our guests to just take 60, 90 seconds and tell us about your relationship with the show. Did you, were you in it from the beginning? Did you find it later? Have you gone back to revisit it? You were a novice. What's your deal? Uh, so pretty much I'm a novice. Uh, I grew up having like, um, I guess like a, a respect for the show. Like my first memory of the show is I'm probably like three years old and I'm like channel surfing um, at night. And I remember like seeing the show and I asked my mom, you know, oh, like what's this show? She tells me it's Beverly Hills 90210 and it's, you know, kind of for older kids, or, you know, older people. And I'm like, well, like, can I watch it? She's like, yeah, you can watch it. Um, and she summed it up best. She was like, it's like Saved by the Bell for like grownups. And I was like, oh, okay. So like I watched for like a week or two and then, um, you know, eventually fell off. 
because I'm like three or four years old. But uh, the only other run-in with Beverly Hills 90210 that I have, um, and this is almost like a, a 90s sitcom theme of itself. Uh, my mother, who was single at the time, uh, working very hard to provide a living for me. And she's trying to get me into this preschool that is like <laughs> way out of our price zone. Uh, and the the preschool's claim to fame uh, was they recently had two guest celebrities come and speak to the kids. Um, the first one was uh, Joey Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And the second one Whoa. was Jason Priestley. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. They had them like back to back pretty much. And so I was like, oh, Beverly Hills 90210. So that's really the only, um, I guess, like experience I have with the show before jumping back in today. Jason Priestley, that's a big get. I, I thought you were going to say like Joey Tata or something. <laughs> <laughs> the school was balling. I think the school was balling. I had no business even uh, having an application for that place at the time. <laughs> so what, wow. is, what is Jason Priestley talking to preschool kids about? I mean, yeah, that's... It's a weird. I I have no idea. I maybe he's talking to the moms. More importantly, I have no idea at the time. Should <laughs> yeah. score some digits. All right. Uh, very interesting. Uh, backstory. Maybe our most unique Data Two and fan yet, given that backstory. So now, have you been watching along with this, or like was tonight's kind of the first one you've watched in a while? Like, how novice I, are you? It's like, is this the only episode you've seen in in a long time? So I checked out uh, the first episode when you guys uh, started this, and then I. Yeah, I haven't seen any of their episodes except for the one tonight. You've been listening to the podcast, though. But I have been listening to the podcast, yes, absolutely. So you're up on the current storylines, at least. Yes. Okay. Uh, Tim, before we get started, do you want to tell everyone about our favorite Instagram account? Yes, our favorite Instagram account is bh90210 restored. And that is uh, a, uh, basically a curated uh, collection of scenes from Beverly Hills 90210 with uh, the original music put back in them. So when you're watching this on streaming or or even on the DVDs, you're going to get music replaced uh, just like you do with all these uh, old shows from the 90s. And if you're curious what the original songs were, do check out that Instagram site. And they've um, gone through uh, pretty much the first four seasons i don't know how much progress um has been made lately we should say we're not affiliated with Mm -hmm. the person who runs this site it's just a nice little resource for us so um i don't know i I will say in in one instance in particular in this episode you really do see how uh some of these song choices can uh change and influence your interpretation of a scene so we'll get into that Okay, interesting. And the episode we're talking tonight is The 17-Year Itch, aired November 29th, 1990, the week after Thanksgiving, as we talked about last episode was our Thanksgiving special. Uh, It snowed early on Thanksgiving that year in Beverly Hills, though. (laughs) (laughs) Quite so. (laughs) All right, why, why don't we go ahead and dive in? Uh, we get some very elegant piano music uh, opening us up as uh, Cindy is still not loving California, but it's their anniversary, her and Jim. And Jim's pretty cold about her missing home. He's just like, this is our home now. Just accept it. Move on. And we know that Cindy's really been struggling for what we've seen early on here. She's uh, had a hard time adjusting. She misses home, misses her friends. It's kind of been doing her own thing. Uh, so Jim wants to get it in for the anniversary. He's like, let's go. Uh, I can put the work aside for a quick 20 if you want to hop in. He's got his pajamas on, so you know he means business. 
Uh, but Cindy, Cindy lays down. She's like, I want to talk first. <laughs> and then without missing a beat, Jim's like, ah, I got to get back to work. And he just leaves. No. Uh, so <laughs> he is, uh, doesn't even, will not even entertain the five minutes of uh, chatter to, uh, to get it in. So I guess he didn't want it that bad. But uh, so he's like, I got to get an hour working. I'm going down to the kitchen to work on work on work stuff. Um, so this is quite the start, Tim, who's uh, really, um, <clears throat> you know, if you've been following along, you knew this frostiness was building. But this like really hammered it home right out of the gate. Yeah, that's true. It's it's a nice little follow up on uh, some tensions we've seen between these two uh, in these just first few episodes. I think it's a pretty bad look for Jim to be willing to put the work aside to get some in. But as soon as she's like, oh, can we talk a little bit first? You know, just I don't know, maybe humor me here. He's like. Uh, I got to put in another hour of work. Sorry. <laughs> like it's so blatant. He, he doesn't even, I mean, you can't get away with that. I mean, uh, how many minutes of talking, you know, it's like, he does none. Yeah. He just had no interest in it at all. None. Just wanted to get right down to business. She's like, mm, you got to butter me up a little bit first. Would you think of that opener, Marcus? Uh, not a good look for Jim at all, man. Yeah, um, he had his working pajamas on. He was ready to put that work in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he couldn't couldn't even get a, you know, five-minute feeling-out process. Uh, so, yeah, not a good look for Jim. I feel pretty bad for Cindy here. Yeah. Yeah, this was their 17th anniversary, obviously, based on the name of the episode. So, by this point, he's, he's checking out. All right, so Brenda's kind of picking up on these vibes uh, right away. She's, she's feeling something's going on. And Brandon's, he's kind of... You know, out to lunch on it. He's like, nah, they're married. They're supposed to be crabby. They're supposed to have issues. So they're not really <clears throat> on the same page right now. Brenda's a little worried. Brandon's kind of hand-waving it all. We then hear some big news, Tim, because we've been tracking this. Mm-hmm. But our buddy, DJ Mike MC, announces he is leaving the school radio station. And we're going to have an open casting call. And uh, David is all fired up. <clears throat> he's He's all in on it. And Scott kind of backs him up. And then Steve walks over and he says uh, he's going for it, too. So David gets a little nervous because obviously Steve's super popular and David may not stand a chance against him in this open casting call. But were you sad with the departure of DJ Mike MC? I feel like we didn't get a lot of time with him. Yeah, I, I was a little sad. You know, DJ Mike MC, we hardly knew you. Um, but at least they did actually, we don't get a reason for it, but at least mm-hmm. we do uh, have him being written out of the show. Um, I'm not sure what he said in his little monologue, but it was it was making it very clear that that uh, he's out and somebody, presumably either David or Steve, is in. Or uh, or Donna, as we're going to see later. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I kind of do enjoy that we get a little bit. This is going to end up being like our C-plot of the episode, which right. not all of our episodes even have a C-plot at this it point. It may be a D-plot and we skip C. That's, it could be. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty. I mean, it only gets like three scenes, but... Uh, I, I do like that we get some more interaction between David and Steve, which I feel like we've been hurting for a little bit here lately. Um, yeah, we've been lacking that for sure. And mm-hmm. I, I must say, I'm sure they had this plan for these characters to be involved in. Uh, and I kind of like the long term booking here. Like, true. We met DJ Mike MC in the first episode and it was established. Like, they could have just never had the DJ. And just all of a sudden, when they were ready to do this story, say, oh, we have a school radio station. I'm going to try out. Like, I kind of like that they laid the groundwork for seven episodes of this existing as a thing in the school. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, it's it's set up as a springboard for something. 
And uh, see, Steve and David had that great chemistry right from the bat, right from the jump in the pilot. And mm-hmm. um, again, we haven't seen much of it um, since then, which has been kind of a shame. We don't get a lot of it here, but I don't know any little bit of Steve and David. Um, I'll take it, even if it's in a C slash D plot. Do you think Dave had a shot, uh, Marcus? Uh, he seems he seems a little too young for the spot. Um, you know, maybe he needs to sit and learn a little bit more uh, before he can get that opportunity to shine. I did make a note though. I thought their chemistry was off the charts. Like coming into this pretty blind, mm-hmm. like immediately jumped off the screen. Like these two uh, just had tremendous chemistry. But the other thing I noticed uh, when I saw Steve compared to David was like. Who let this 25-year-old man into this high school? (laughs) (laughs) I know when you're teenagers, you know, sometimes two or three years can make a huge difference. But um, David looks like a child compared to Mm -hmm. some of the other teenagers on the show. David, yeah, David definitely skews the the curve, as we learned a few episodes ago, Tim. But he uh, he skews that because he's like the youngest and he looks the youngest. So, yeah, and he definitely stands out him and Scott in that regard. Yeah, I was going to say. it's definitely enhanced by the fact that like 90 percent of his scenes are with scott who is like just as young uh or hat kid as rocco referred to him as in the last episode (laughs) but um (laughs) yeah just the two of them obviously stand out and you've got steve with his hello fellow kids moment um (laughs) but it's i don't know it makes for a fun contrast all right, so Miss Rye, our teacher, comes in, and she wants Brendan Brandon to do a twins study. Uh, they're a little lukewarm on that idea, but she convinces them to go ahead and uh, to do it. So they agree, and they will be a part of the study uh, to study twins. We get Cindy, who's still on her gardening uh, kick, and she's shopping with Anna. And I guess mm-hmm. we get revealed later that I, – I, I don't know when this became a thing, but apparently Cindy's now like a landscaper or something. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I thought know. she was still just landscaping her own house because it wasn't Anna like the like yeah she the same like the, person that they they mixed up and came to the wrong house or whatever and the housekeeper up- who she was reluctant to take on yeah in that one episode who we haven't seen since then I don't believe so it's so now she works know. for Cindy and they landscape gardens like I don't know mm-hmm. like you thought they would have dropped this in at some point that she picked up this gig but anyway so she's gardening she's shopping at the garden center. And some creepy guy is just randomly snapping Polaroids of her uh, from afar. And it turns out to be her friend Glenn uh, that she knew from way back in the day. He was a photographer. Uh, Glenn, I had his full name somewhere here. Uh, hang on. Glenn Evans. Oh. When I first wrote it down, it was Glenn Avid. I put it was Glenn Evans. I went up and looked looked it up. So uh, him, and, him and Cindy go way back. Uh, he even knew Jim. So they're back from Minnesota, the Midwest. Glenn said, so now... I thought it was creepy at first, and then I'm like, well, he knew her, so maybe he's just like, you know, playing flirty and coy, taking her picture, and then I like, hey, it's me. But then it's even creepier because he says, I didn't know it was you when I was taking your picture. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Like, so that, you know, he tries to play it off like they hired him. I guess the garden center hired him to take pictures, but I don't know. It was, it was a creepy thing to say. Like, I just thought you were some random stranger I was taking your picture, not my old friend. Um, but anyway, so we have this meet cute with uh, Cindy and Glenn uh, Marcus. What did you think of uh, Glenn coming back into Cindy's life here initially? Uh, yeah, what a creep. Like, you've got to have a better cover story than that if you're going to be snapping photos um, out in public like that. And going back real quick to the scene where um, the Wash Twins got a- approached about the twin. Yes. Um, 
research for Brenda being so intuitive. Um, how did she not pick up that this teacher was ready to be- like pounce on her brother in the hallway? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, the, the, the attraction there was mm-hmm. inappropriate at best. Um, and she's just not going to say anything, but I understand that's not the, you know, the point of the episode, but um, yeah, that teacher was having her way with Brandon just with her eyes. Like that was wildly inappropriate. I feel like it's, contractually and jason may and this is what he was talking to the preschool about i feel like it's contractually <laughs> obligated to have at least one older woman come on to him per episode so this mm-hmm. was filling that gap that miss rye had to um miss rye she, had to come in and, and uh put the moves on him she's the same one from the um the newspaper the journalism class right yeah, I think so. Yeah. I wasn't sure 100%, but cuz I didn't remember the name Miss Rye, so I, didn't but I guess yeah. I think it's still her, which I mean we remarked on their sexual tension previously and right. I don't know. It's um Oh, yeah, you know, I it's Miss Ryan. So maybe it was Miss Ryan and I thought it was Miss Rye. Oh, oh I'm going to okay. take her off the uh the debut's list here. Okay. I think it is. That would be person. Yeah, that would be odd to have a Miss Rye and a Miss Ryan. So Correct. could it be the same us? actress playing two different <laughs> characters? Well, we'll see that in a minute. But yes, okay. possibly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Possibly was. Um, all right. So they meet at the garden center. Um, and I'm sorry, Tim, did you have anything to say on that one scene? Not really, other than Glenn sort of looks like an age-progressed Bill Hader. Um, <laughs> and it was very distracting to me in all of his scenes. Uh, yeah. Do you expect Seth Rowe to come in next to him with like a police officer? Could be. Yeah, at any moment. <laughs> They're going to so, run a train on Cindy. <laughs> we go to Casa Walsh and Glenn is holding court uh, with the whole Walsh family. They're all sitting in the living room. He reveals he dated Cindy and that he made a mistake of letting Cindy meet Jim. So they kind of went on a few dates. They dated for a month on his first anniversary, introduced her to Jim. And that was it. She ended up uh, ditching Glenn and going out with old daddy Jim. So Jim bails out of work, uh, bails out to go to work. He's like, basically, I've had enough of uh, Glenn's stories. But he kind of repeats the mistake that Glenn made 17 years ago uh, or however long ago that they met 20 years ago. He leaves Glenn alone with his wife and just heads upstairs and uh, lets them chat it up. So and they do. They're talking late into the morning and Jim wakes up in the middle of the night realizes he's alone in bed he goes down and cindy and glenn are kind of canoodling a little bit and and still talking and the next morning we find out as because brenda says it that it was 3 a.m when they were still talking mm. so uh cindy and glenn on the couch till 3 a.m brandon wants nothing to do uh, nothing to do with it he's like it's bullshit they're just friends they were just talking everything's fine um so do you think glenn was already putting the moves in here tim or do you think uh he was still do you think it was hitting him at this point yeah, I think he's he's laying down the moves for sure, especially when he saw how well it went over with with him and and the whole family. Uh, what a big hit he was! Which I'm sorry, I found that scene very unbelievable, where they're all mm. just sitting around like fascinated by his stories of Tiananmen Square or whatever. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, these these 17 year olds are super into this, I'm sure. Well, uh-huh. Yeah, I guess you could maybe believe Brandon would be, but. Maybe um, yeah. yeah. He's like, wow. So two Tiananmen Square must have been so intense. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. for him to like be holding court for hours or however this is presented <laughs> is is a bit much. But um, I was seventeen. I get out of the way. WCW Saturday Night's coming up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what he should have been a photographer. 
Um, but yeah, I think he's like, mm, I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm onto something here. Uh, it started out as just a perhaps overly convenient reunion uh, at at the florist um, while Cindy is doing her landscaping. But now, oh, now I'm I'm thinking of old times. Cindy seems to be into it. Uh, her husband seems super indifferent. Right. Um, maybe I can work with this here. How would you feel, Marcus, if you came down and Glenn was with your other significant other at 3 a.m. in the couch? <laughs> I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be uh, standing on the staircase, uh, you know, <laughs> like Jerry Lawler hiding in a closet. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, just watching. I thought that was weird. Uh, <laughs> Jim's just watching them canoodle. <laughs> um, I thought the positioning um, of everybody during that scene was really uh, good when they're all around the fireplace. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's looking at Glenn, like mm-hmm. even the kids, no one's paying Jim any attention. And even like Jim's kind of feeding into uh, Glenn a little bit before he takes off. And then when he does go, you know, excuse himself for an hour or so to go work, like he gives his wife like the coldest, <laughs> like the coldest embrace and walks out. So like if you're Glenn, like, I mean, that's a hanging, that's a hanging slider across the plate. Right, like right. you, you got to not <laughs> <laughs> he walked into a perfect situation for what he, he really did. Before, for sure. Jim's really burnt did. out by work and just checked out across the board right now. And this lady's cool with you taking her picture in public. Uh, you know, everything's going well here for Glenn. And you never know when Anna might be in the mix, too. So oh. a little twofer. All right. So basic. Uh, so then the next morning, Brandon and Brenda are going to the twin study. We get these super creepy twins. Um which, you know, Tim, this is con- continuing our story that we've are I don't say story, continuing our trope we've had for a few episodes mm-hmm. now of like the comic relief storyline. Mm-hmm. And while Brendan and Brandon in this episode aren't full comic relief, half of their stuff is. So like we continue to have a very lighthearted storyline to go with some of the heavier stuff, which is continuing to be a trend for us. So here, this is it in this one. So we get these like straight out of the fucking double mint commercial. Like they're wearing the same button down, the same creepy smile comb over and they like talk alike and dress alike they got odd smiles and yeah it's just very very creepy when they walk up it's like this is like this was like the standard tropey tv creepy twins pairing right here it really is i I thought this whole twin study subplot was so dumb um even as these as you put it the comedy relief uh, side stories go this one was just super stupid um there's no point dude it's also doing that very 90s thing of uh twins ma- they must be magic and have psychic power like why right. was that such a thing in the 90s i don't know marcus can you help us out here yeah i don't want to tip my pitch too much here but i have the same thing like this whole scene was just very 90s like the fascination mm-hmm. with uh, twins and them like being able to finish each other's sentences and all that stuff. Just uh, yeah, it was it was a '90s fascination at the time. It was like, did we just suddenly discover twins in the '90s? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> why is this so fascinating as a phenomenon? And then you had the Olsen twins. We didn't even know they were twins. Yeah, they existed yeah. behind the scenes in the shadows. So uh, we have Glenn taking Cindy through LA in his convertible. He says he wants to show her the real LA. So. Maybe she'll feel a little bit better about living there. She can see there's actually some vibrancy, some life, some art. And he drives through, and she's all horned up in the in the convertible, <laughs> <they're> flying <laughs> through. She's like, her ovaries are banging. Um, so, and she basically serves it up like, 
you know, Glenn says, you know, Cindy and Jim, you're like, they're, you guys like opposites. And he makes his move and he's like, you know what they say about opposites? They attract and they get all close to each other. And Cindy's definitely like feeding some lines here that I could see why Glenn thought he had a shot at this because she was not shying away from putting feelers out there, potential interest of something like with the way she was flirting with him, Argus. Yeah, she um, she does nothing to like excuse herself from the situation at all. Mm-hmm. Like she is trying to get caught up in an entanglement, as the kids would say these yeah. days. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, yes, or, or perhaps a situationship. Um, uh, yeah, Cindy's definitely feeding into it. This is where I think the episode takes a pretty like melodramatic turn. <laughs> and I think this episode, more so than any we've watched so far, is the most melodramatic because yeah. it's doing this like torrid star-crossed lovers romantic plot but it's presenting it in this still very episodic structure this is what you would expect to see like a multi-episode arc sort of cover right and it just doesn't do that it just crams it all into this one episode so it's like very um well you could say like the the seedlings of this have been planted for like seven episodes really sure yeah Um, but to your point yes glenn it normally might have been glenn as a character yeah you would expect to be sort of a multi-episode love interest sort of thing i think in the future when we have i think the difference right now is we're not getting standalone stories to the other characters right so like we get one main story we may get it like you said a b or c maybe but the A dominates. Like, we're not doing multiple things at once. I think mm-hmm. in future years, it might have been a situation where this did play out over multiple episodes because so much was going on otherwise. But, like, yeah. right now, it's still, like, Walsh Story of the Week and the other characters are just kind of there. Yep. If anything, it's kind of impressive that we've gotten two pretty Cindy-heavy episodes in a row. Yeah. Uh, when you don't think of this show as being very centered on the Walsh elders. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think season one was still very much about them, about yeah. the family. So you the were going to get stuff like this more so than like the other kids. Um, because, yeah, to your point, even that last episode was very, um, even though it was really about Jackie and Kelly, it was very Cindy heavy, too. Like she was the other main person in the mm-hmm. story. So. Yep. All right, we head back to the twin study and in comes Mrs. Stratmore, uh, who... You know, you mentioned earlier, Marcus, someone playing multiple roles. Uh, I almost I had forgot about this because I kind of was like floored. Uh, the future Mrs. Teasley, who we'll see in episodes to come. Yeah. Uh, the principal West Beverly High plays Mrs. Stratmore here. So, Tim, did you Ooh. remember this, that she was this other character? I, I did not remember that she played a dual role in the series, but that's a very Aaron Spelling production sort of thing to do. They typically do it across series rather than within the same show. Um, but you know, I've been wondering, like, eh, we haven't seen Miss Teasley here. I wonder when she comes in as, you know, the, the principal, everyone remembers from West Beverly and it's like, oh, well, we're kind of halfway there with the actress at least. <laughs> so I don't know. Is she going to stick around? Are they going to take a break and, and just hope that people forgot she played this other character? Um, I had to look so, it up. Yeah. I was so surprised by it. I'm like, is this really her? Like, it just took me a minute to calibrate. And I'm like, it's got to be her. And then I confirmed. It's like, it did seem weird because she is such a main character. It's not like yep. she comes back and just plays like another throwaway role. Like, right. This is Teasley's on like a decent amount going forward. She's, she's a longtime supporting character. Yeah. yeah. As Miss Teasley. 
Odd stuff. Um, all right, so she comes in, and we get the twin study. It's, it's again, off to a tough start. Brenda and Brandon fail all the tests. The Creeper twins nail it as creepily as possible. <laughs> Literally finishing each other's sentences. Um, so I, I thought, again, I think to your point, Tim, this thing's uh, feeling a little awkward and uh, forced storyline. But I, I think it's just we're just killing time with some comedy and the creepy 90s twins at it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Glenn is going in all hard. Uh, he basically directly asked Cindy, like, do you ever wonder what if uh, you didn't meet Jim? And Cindy's like, yeah, like, all right. Like, I know we've come far, but I don't want to go that far. Um, and then Glenn invites Cindy to his opening that he has coming up, his art opening. And she says, we would love to. And yes. Glenn looks like he wants to fucking murder anyone around him at that point. He's like, fuck. <laughs> he was hoping, you know, Cindy would just give the okay and come alone. Um so, yeah, so we leave them here. Nothing happens further, but Glenn really goes in twice. Just basically says, do you ever think what happened if it was us and not you and Jim? And come to my opening. And mm-hmm. Cindy dodges one and throws the Heisman up on the other. So, uh, Marcus, <laughs> what do you think of uh, Cindy's dexterity here? Uh, yeah, like, Glenn almost fumbled the bag here uh, twice. Like, he, he way overplays his hand, but thankfully, like, for him, uh, Cindy is, like, wants to advance uh just maybe not as aggressively as glenn at this point and glenn's got to realize you know she's she's uh she's a different woman she's not the girl that he once knew she's got kids now and uh you know some responsibilities so he's going to take a little bit slower than this um but thankfully for him cindy is uh willing to play the long game he is definitely overplaying his hand for sure. The way he's constantly needling her about her family and mm-hmm. talking about her marriage and her kids and how great it all is. Just like, I don't know, almost at the same time trying to insinuate himself into her life. Like, oh, you've got such a wonderful life. Wouldn't it be so much better if I was part of it type of thing? It's like kind of... um I almost said reverse negging, but then I remembered that negging wasn't really a thing until, like, <laughs> I don't know, more recent years. And this is well, kind of how people used to play it, I guess. It's almost like he's going through his own shit uh-huh. in front of her. Like, uh-huh. I think he, it, he's processing these thoughts as well. Like, fuck, like, this could have been me kind of thing. And yeah. it's like playing out in real time. And he like has no filter because he feels comfortable with her, right? So he's he's right. almost coming to these realizations as he's putting it on her too. Right. And I get the sense that maybe she doesn't entirely trust herself around him. So she wants some cover. That's why she's like, Oh, we'd we'd love to be there. So me, right. Jim, the kids, everybody and their brother, like Kelly, Donna, they're all gonna come. Mm-hmm. All gonna come. <laughs> uh but man, Glenn's face when she says we is great. He, he, that mm-hmm. guy, whoever the actor was, so that was the highlight of this episode. Bill Hater, yeah. You just, you just uh, that uh, smile to that like fucking menacing flat mouthed look. <laughs> all right, so we go back to the bedroom uh, where Jim, you know, they're talking about the opening and all this, and Cindy's kind of gushing, talking about Glenn as as one would do, just talking nonstop. Uh, Jim uses the phrase "bring home the bacon," and I would shut him down for sex too, which Cindy does. Um, <laughs> He's struggling for sure. He's got the pajamas on. Uh, he's using phrases like bring home the bacon. And he wants to get it in again. And said, he's like, ah, fuck off. Like, I'll go to bed, buddy. You had your chance the other night. Uh, so Jim, Jim's uh, hitting rock bottom in this episode here. Mm-hmm. 
awfully bold though to tuck himself in like that this was almost a the type of exchange where it's like, all right, buddy, you're sleeping on the couch tonight. Right, like, right. Yeah, he's been doing it in the bed. He's, he's not, bed. like, quite that far in the doghouse yet, but he's getting there. He's still an alpha, so he's like, fuck you, it's my yeah, bed. He um, turns the light off and pulls them covers up. <laughs> but I feel like the, uh, the like, ar- I don't say arrogant, but the confident Jim that we've known to this point is, like, crumbling. Like, yeah. the basketball-playing, you know, fast-talking gym that we've seen for a few episodes is all of a sudden falling apart here. You, see, you could tell he's flailing a bit. Yeah, nothing like a minimizing your partner's value before trying to get it in, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you guys catch that, uh, like, before Cindy hops in bed, though, that uh, she said a quick line about uh, Glenn having the softest touch? And, like, Jim... Mm. Jim, like, didn't even pick up on it. I'm like, all right, like, you're kind of being oblivious. I know you got your, you know, your, your head and attention focused on something else right now. But, uh, you know, you got a situation on your hands. You got to you gotta realize what's going on. Yeah. yeah. You got a snake in the grass. <laughs> a snake in the grass. <laughs> all right. So David is in the hallway at school, and he's showing off his rapping skills. Uh, but he gets booed. But he didn't know he was performing. He was just kind of like bullshitting, freestyling as Scott. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was pretty good. I don't know why they booed yeah. him. Like, I thought it was solid. Uh, but he's he's ramping up. He's ready for this tryout. Uh, Cindy's now getting ready for the opening. And she says she's applying toilet water instead of perfume. Like, I guess I've heard that before. Is that just like a generic <sighs> perfume? Or is it like just a freshening up type thing? Isn't it just kind of a 90s colloquialism sort of? Toilet water, I guess. Like, oh, it's nothing fancy. It's just, you know, you, you say it, oh, it's toilet water, like disparagingly. It's just, you know, cheap perfume, cheap cologne. Oh, here we go. Eau de toilette. Uh, yeah. Literature of toilet water is a lightly scented cologne used as skin freshener. There you so, go. Yeah, it's basically like a very base, basic uh, cologne or um, perfume. Like Axe before it's time? I think even Axe is stronger than this. Oh, wow. Probably so. And, and has a worse reputation. <laughs> yes. Axe is not making a man out of anyone's son like uh, this was. Oh, my God. <laughs> was that Axe? No, that was Old Spice, right? That was Old Spice. How <laughs> can I forget? Greatest commercial ever. Um, <sighs> all right, so she's putting the toilet water on her. And uh, Brandon's showing a little jealousy in the scene as they get ready to go. Uh, because Brenda's IQ test scoring was higher in the twin test. So mm. he's he's uh, showing some bitterness. And this is not the first time we've seen, like, douchey Brandon be jealous uh, when he's not the, the top dog. So this mm-hmm. is uh, maybe becoming a trend for Brando as we go forward. Uh, Cindy's still bitter. She mentions that baby Jim is out getting her anniversary present uh, that never showed up on their anniversary. So he's, you know, we're far cry away from when Jim bought the, uh, what do you buy online? The fucking tracksuit and everything else. His shop oh, yeah. has deteriorated since then. Yep. He got in trouble for that. Yep. That's and worse. it's spiraling because Cindy is shutting down now. Like Jim says, I can't go. I'm stuck at work. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to be here all night. She's like, all right, well, see you later. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Does not even care. Just hangs up the phone and basically like, all right, we're not going to miss you. We're going to the opening. Either way, we're not going to miss it, and I'm sorry you can't go. So yeah. I thought uh, old Jimbo's really played himself into the shine box, Marcus. Yeah, uh, the line I took away from there was um, when Jim tells her that like, he's not going to be able to make it, he says, you're not going to impale me? 
And I was like, no, homie, she's trying to get impaled. Last thing she wants is you to be there. <laughs> like, this is this is going exactly – like, she knew he was going to get hung up at work. Oh. She knew he didn't want to go look at no pictures. Come, like, this is going perfectly for her. She she has a clean out. She invited uh-huh. the family. But she still gets to go see uh, her old buddy Glenn, who's just a fr- – like – she is playing her hand perfectly. She is innocent. She can claim innocence in all of this, but mm-hmm. she knows exactly what she's doing here. Um, and like, I kind of really like Cindy now. <laughs> this, this scene really won me over. Uh, all right. So Jim's at work uh, and he's got Bob the account with him. Uh, I loved Bob. I think he was my favorite character in this. Uh, <laughs> he's so miserable. He does not give a fuck. Like Jim's like kind of like giving these needy questions, you know, and Bob's like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? All right, let's get yeah. back to these numbers. Like, Find some poetry in these numbers. Anything. With, with, yeah, sir, Jim talks about wanting to be a poet. And all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, I wanted to be a poet. I was younger and this and that. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, you want some poetry? Read the numbers. Like, not it. give a shit. I love this guy, Tim. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. He he cracked me up. And I, and I kind of hope that we see more of uh, Bob, Jim's, co-work, Jim's random co-worker. In future episodes. It's like Jim a Christmas future. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it reminded me of the guy like um, Parks and Recreation when Ben goes to work for the accountant firm. Or whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It was just like that. Yeah. Um, just like super straightforward and nerdy. So uh, so anyway, Bob, one of the Bobs, is uh, miserable, but he doesn't even hear with Jim. So Jim's stuck at the office. Uh, we go to the gallery where Don and Kelly are there. They're all impressed by Glenn as well. Um, and then... I thought Glenn made a nice move here too. Uh, this little dime piece comes up to him. He's like, Hey Glenn, how you doing? Mm-hmm. And he blows her off to go take Cindy outside. Um, so again, really kind of showing that Cindy's his number one right now and making her see that right. Blatantly. Like it, it's clear that maybe he's got some women on the side or maybe he's a bit of a player in these situations. And, you yeah. know, Clearly, this girl was was into Glenn, and he blows her off. And he says, you want to go outside for a, a breath of fresh smog? Um, yes. And so they head out, and Brenda's, like, all over it. Like, she goes to Brandon, and her, like, Mom just went outside with this guy. Where are they going? Something's up. And it kind of establishes Glenn as, as a bit of a catch himself, um, mm-hmm. as if this, this episode hasn't gone all out, all in on Glenn, I should say. Um, kind of gives him the rub a little bit like uh oh man he he's he could he's a real stud you know he could pick up any woman in this joint he just just goes right to right to cindy like i mean radar <laughs> accuracy just grabs her oh i gotta i gotta take a, a break let's step outside like oh, i've been at this for hours also he's still he's still working on uh brandon and brenda saying oh I, i'm gonna shoot these two they're gonna be my latest subjects, you know, he's not really like associated with the twin study thing, but he seems to be doing his own kind of, I don't know, some kind of artistic photo shoot with twins where he talked about the yin and the yang or something earlier. Right. And, it's so, like, and, and that even speaks to even more. Why do we need this twin study? Like, why yeah. couldn't this have just mm-hmm. replaced that? Right. Like, exactly. You know, Glenn's doing it like they could have established it earlier in the episode and just done that instead of the other study that like they're with a bunch of other twins, like for a calendar, or some photo shoot or whatever. Um, it was odd that they had two twin related things. Going it on. is very much. So, I mean, I can, I guess I get it. They're just trying to 
be consistent in, in that theme across two kind of separate storylines, but it just reads oddly. Yeah, I just I don't this this is the weirdest one. Like I don't think we needed the Glenn with the twin photo shoot because it doesn't really mm-hmm. go anywhere. Um, no, it doesn't. Unless you just read it as he was really trying to do whatever he could to weasel into this family <laughs> and get Cindy like oh like he cares about the kids kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so he goes out to the bridge and now he makes his big play. He's pushing his chips in and he kisses her and Cindy oh, goes yeah. right in like she does not back off. So they make out on the bridge, and Glenn has, to this point, played this game pretty flawlessly. Because uh, here's Cindy giving in. Uh, what do you think, Marcus, of the big moment on the on the on the water here? You said it. There's kissing, and then there's making out, and this this crossed into like making out territory. Um, I thought the scene like of this this point did like an excellent job of um kind of like painting Glenn as like a genuine guy. Like he right. never really bragged about like how successful he was. Uh, like he was decently modest for like, you know, how accomplished he is. You have all these people at this event here to see him and his work and everything like that. And here he is focusing on like the twins. And now it's time to like cash in all the chips on the bridge and <laughs> make out point. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's intense. Like it is, um, I'll say Cindy is a willing participant. Like she, mm-hmm. at this point she can't say like, oh, you kissed me, which is like oh, what definitely. I thought was going to happen. Right. Like, no, this was. This was a 50-50 mutual partnership. Yeah, he he makes the move, but she totally leans into it. It she was she was down for this kiss. And I, I will say this kind of shocked me because I remembered the basic outline of this episode like I I, I recall like okay, this is the one where like they do the will they won't they with Cindy and some guy. And I didn't remember them actually making out and it's right. for sure a full on make out. So when I saw this, I was like, Oh wow. I totally misremembered this episode. I, I had forgotten. It was even someone from her past. I I thought it was just like someone she met. So yeah, yeah. like rewatching it, there's definitely way more layers than I thought. Uh, so we were at the Walsh house uh, afterward and <laughs> For the second straight episode, <clears throat> Kelly gets uh, another backhanded compliment in of all these gorgeous women, and he picked your mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right up there with the one from last episode with Andrea. I, I never knew you were so good looking, Andrea. Uh, so then Kelly wow, starts you playing. your glasses off. Yeah. <laughs> it is another one of those types of <laughs> All these gorgeous women, and why he picked your mom. Um, and Cindy's like not even that far. She's like in the house when she said it. It was kind of shitty. <laughs> uh, so Kelly's planting these seeds of doubt in Brenda's mind about marriage. She said Jim's we're coming late, you know, coming home late, and all of a sudden he's never around. And kind of this is how it starts. And being divorced kid isn't that bad. And so she's kind of prepping Brenda for what she sees to be inevitable. She's lived this lifestyle and knows what's coming. Uh, in comes Jim late from work as usual. Cindy's blasted music and floating around the room and. You could definitely tell, like, she's on cloud nine, and Jim is walking into yet another buzzsaw. Uh, Tim, what did you think of uh, Cindy kind of dialing it back and, and blaring the music and dancing around, and Kelly's uh, take? Okay, this was the scene where the, the original music sort of um, enhances uh, the experience, I will say, because uh, what she was actually blasting was a Heart-Shaped World by Chris Isaac, mm. and... You know, Chris Isaac, especially in the 90s, is kind of just shorthand for I super want to fuck and I have to right, <laughs> right this minute. 
And so what they're playing instead, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's nothing terrible, but it's, it's just sort of not projecting that same mood. She just seems sort of wistful and sad more so than horny. Um, I know the two can go hand in hand, certainly, but um, I think it's quite different and quite clear what, what she's really experiencing, what she's really thinking if you hear a Chris Isaac song there. All right, thank you for that because I was kind of crossed. I was like, like I didn't understand completely because she's out on the balcony and she looks, mm-hmm. I don't know, reflective, somewhat remorseful, right, anxious, right. perhaps. And then Jim comes in and I, like I was, well, I watched a Paramount Plus, so like they didn't have the music that you said. And so like I see him, he's he's got his working pajamas on, he's got the top open, he's ready to go to work. And like you said, like Cindy's kind of like, uh, like this isn't. This isn't what I, what I wanted, uh, so that makes a lot more sense right. now that you have that uh, the correct and original music in there. I was expecting it to be something from like the '70s, like when she was a, in her youth, like a mm. throwback song, you know, versus mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. something more modern. But yeah, I mean, this is Cindy, you know, being pretty contemporary and mm-hmm. what she's listening to here. It's like, and it's not just like, you know, you get into this whole like. there will be the soundtrack to an episode and it's just sort of incidental music that, that helps us the viewer. And then there's what the actual characters are listening to within the episode. And that's what this was an example of. So, right. um, Yeah. So that's, that's an unfortunate loss, I guess you can say. Um, And and I don't remember the Walsh's having this balcony off of their (laughs) bedroom like this. This was, I mean, it's interesting, but it's, uh, it kind of, I was sort of shook by by that also. She ought to jump. Seems the only way out of this situation. <laughs> she seemed to be contemplating it. <laughs> so uh, Jim Jim's back of the PJs. He's got the the pants, and then like the nightshirt unbuttoned. So we see mm-hmm. full hairy Jim chest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt like it's like he's trying to peacock a bit, right? Because. Like, he knows something's going on. He's coming in late. Cindy's, you know, moving around the room with Chris Isaac playing. Like, I feel like he was trying to, re- like, remark his territory. But it's tough to come off as attractive and take it a stand when he looks like fucking, like, Ebenezer Scrooge in his pajamas. <laughs> like, 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 might as well just have, like, the long nightgown with the cap on. Like, he comes in. Like, it literally looks like Grandpa Joe in this fucking thing. Like, from, like, 1840 or something coming in. Um and he's like trying to make his point, and but the two of them are just fucking done. Like, it's clear like there's big time issues at this point uh, because they're yeah. just not hearing each other, and uh, you know him looking like that did not help his cause. Like he should have kept the suit on if he was trying to make a make a power play here. The yeah, only thing missing was like him holding a candlestick in the right? dark. <laughs> <laughs> the little candle. That's what I was waiting for. Like, it's such a ridic- Like, have you ever had pajamas like this? Like, I've had pajama pants, I guess, or shorts, but like never. I never did like the full button down shirt with the p- pajama, like matching bottoms. Is that, right. is that just more of a timepiece than like a, something you it's wear like, now? Uh, looks like something out of a Daffy Duck cartoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, big match gear. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So Brenda and Kelly are talking about the marital issues in the hallway and Sydney kind of is on the steps and overhears them. Uh, talking about it like they even say like they probably never even have sex type of thing and cindy's cindy's a little rattled now that she's realizing that brenda and others are maybe picking up on what's going on here she's been in her own little world for a while 
uh, but others are picking up the signals. So we go back to the twin study where Brendan and Brandon are getting hot now. They're, they're not happy uh, <laughs> because they're, they're basically fighting over Jim and Cindy and Stratmore's trying to dig in a bit like, all right, well, explore those feelings. And Brandon just fucking blows up. And he's like, this is your fault with your scientific meddling. <laughs> Quite the accusation. Uh, a lot of trouble in twin paradise here. And, I, you know, Brandon's kind of continuing his run of being an angry, jealous asshole. Like, he's completely projecting here because he's mad that Brenda's scoring higher on the shit. And he's just, like, aggravated about hearing about Jim and Cindy some more. He doesn't want to be doing this fucking study anymore with Stratmore. Um, and it's just all, like, blowing up. So he storms out. Uh, I don't know, Tim. Is this, like, continuing? Brandon's little, like, I feel like he was held up as kind of the ace for a few episodes. But now he's been he's been slip sliding a little bit with some flaws. Yeah, it, it definitely continues that trend of Brandon getting very indignant with an adult mm-hmm. um, over something kind of petty. In this case, I, I thought that his uh, blow up was, I mean, completely, just completely out of line. Where is he coming from with it? That is that is quite the, the leap that he made right. <laughs> from one to the other. And, and I get what the show is going for. It's not really about the twin study, of course, it has, it has nothing to do with his frustrations over that. It's, it's all about his parents and how, you know, he's, he's misread the situation, how it's gotten so bad. And, and he was just trying to brush it off. And maybe if, if he had said or done something earlier, it wouldn't have gotten this bad, blah, 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 blah. But this is the show needing these two, I guess, plot lines to, to intersect in some way. And also just to kind of, be done with the twin study bullshit and <laughs> move the, the kids more into the main plot now. Uh, so, so I get the utility of it, but um, it, you know, the mechanics are, are pretty, pretty wonky in how they pull it off. Yeah. Like for me, an outsider coming in, like, where is this coming from? Like he really mm-hmm. projects onto this lady um, and like, he's a good looking kid. He's smart. He can drive, uh, you know, like I've heard the other episodes where like he had a job, like he, he seems pretty responsible. Um, but then he just has this blow up out of nowhere. Like, like what is going on? He's definitely got some rage issues. Um, and they, st- they seem to stem from like some daddy issues. Like, I, I feel mm-hmm. like we explored that a bit, like in the basketball episode, like, I think he just feels like he needs to live up to a standard, uh, and it puts a lot of stress on him, so he constantly cracks quickly whenever he feels like things are the pressure is building. Yeah, yeah, he he seems to be like a, a complete perfectionist or something. Like any any like his sister even just like shining a little bit over him or like having a little bit of insight. Like he cannot handle that at all. Um, yep. Yeah, he seemed way off point. This kid's like a real dick. Yeah, it's it's basically his biggest flaw at this point for sure. <laughs> Um, all right, so we get more of the Cindy and Anna landscaping hour. They're talking about the big gig they got going on that we never heard of. Uh, in come Brandon and Brenda and Brandon who decide. Brandon finally kind of gets on board after that meeting and says, okay, we're going to do something. There's obviously problems. So they go to the old 80s trope of making their parents dinner uh, to get them to, you know, come back together. So they got them sitting in the room with the candlelight. They're trying to whip the dinner together. Jim's kind of being a dick. You know, he's like, oh, this is going to taste like shit, basically. And Cindy's like, fuck, like, we're trying. We get a pretty heavy talk, and Jim walks out. And this is like, again, Jim has not played this well at all. Uh, This is another big whiff on his point. Um, So Cindy is not happy. 
and uh, she drives over to Glenn's house from there. So I thought this dinner was was pretty tense, Marcus. Yeah, dinner was tense, and even like Jim calling, I felt like was the equivalent of uh, Matt Hasselback saying, "We want the ball, we're going to score." Right, right. Um, but yeah, the dinner seat itself was uh, pretty intense. Um, and like to have that conversation with like your kids right on the outside, like oof. Um, yeah, some questionable parenting, I guess. Yeah, and this is the type of thing you mentioned it being more of a. 80s trope and it is for sure you can kind of maybe picture two 16 whatever 17 year olds doing this but the way that the this show has portrayed the kids especially brandon and brenda is like they're supposed to be so much wiser beyond their years um so i don't know this this whole setup it rang a little untrue to the characters um but it's sort of also I, I get that it plays into just the powerlessness that they're feeling like they have to try to do something and there's just nothing they can do. This is a major, major problem between their parents um, that really has nothing to do with them. And Jim and Cindy even acknowledge, hey, we've, we've got huge, big issues here and are talking about it over this dinner, but doing nothing to try to resolve it. And um that almost makes it seem like this whole situation is super hopeless, especially with him leaving and then her running off to Glenn. It's um, it's pretty intense. Yeah. And uh, like when Jim looks to like Jim doesn't deny anything, but he's also like kind of making sure like Cindy kind of takes responsibility for her end as well. And like when Jim kind of points back at Cindy and like her mm-hmm. emotional and physical and like mental absence, uh, like the look on her face is uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's almost like, uh, how dare you? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, you know, we're going to be adults and we're going to talk. Like, I, I don't think, you know, if you want your husband, if you want Jim to, you know, own up for what he's doing, I think you also have to own up to your shortcomings as well and what's been going on. So, and even if she yeah. disagrees, even if she disagrees with what he's saying, she kind of has to let him say it because at least that gives her some insight into where he's coming from. Right, right. Maybe she she has to be willing to together. do that. Yeah, she has to be willing to do it. And she kind of isn't here, you know, with both of them, both of them going their separate ways. Yeah, she drives off to Glenn's Grotto uh, on the water over here and. Uh, Glenn is in full desperation mode now. Like he went from super confident, kind of took his shot. It kind of went well, but kind of not. Uh, but here she is, and he is like going all out. So he's showing her these candids uh, that he took of her, and he's putting her over big time uh, to try and get her back on board. He's putting the press. Uh, Glenn even uh, gets her with the make love line. Um, he thinks he has her, and then she kind of snaps and says, like, I'm out. And she dramatically runs away and lets out this wail. Um, like, it's just like this ridiculous fucking noise. Um, and Glendis looks fucking pissed. Like he's not even like disappointed or like, he just looks angry. Like mm-hmm. what the fuck I am. Like this, this lady is becoming way too high-vated. So that's the look at his face. Like this shit ain't worth it. Um, but he went all in. Yeah. You know, when you start showing the pictures and the, you know, talking about making love and everything else, like, you know, you know, you're emptying the chambers here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 
in his mind, all of this should have worked. He did everything he was supposed to do. If she was going to go for it, she would have gone for it. And it really just came down to her and, and Cindy's convictions. And, and with that whale, that was, that was the end of it. Uh, this is where we got our most soap operatic acting of maybe the entire series up to this point. Um, with just this interaction between them, it was very, again, just very melodramatic. Yeah, Jim really didn't learn from his mistakes from earlier, where like he kind of pressed for her to come, and the the look on his face when she said like, "Oh yeah, like we'll all go to your your event," and here, like he kind of repeats it, where like she's coming to see him, and she acknowledges like you know the mental affair that's been going on, but rather than you know, talk through it and try to persuade her. Um, you know, he jumps to, towards like the physical aspect mm-hmm. and, you know, for what he's going for, which is, um, you know, trying to steal this dude's wife. Uh, you know, you want everything. You want the complete package. So like if she's in an emotional mood, like you got to meet her where she's at and, you know, not worry about trying to get it in at, you know, 12 o'clock or whatever time it is right now. <laughs> yep. yep. Big mistake. And once she lets the whale out, he's always just cooked. Um, but the problem is Brendan Brandon has stalked her. So they see her running out of the grotto and they're assuming the worst. Now they see her leaving. She drives off and they're under the assumption that something's going on. So we're back at the Walsh house and Jim is uh, the next morning. He's reading, reading an article and she's like, Oh, what are you reading? You know, sports finance. And he's like, no, he's reading poems and it's his old poetry or an old article. He wrote about poetry. Uh, because as we had found out through this, which we didn't dig into earlier, but when they were in the house talking, uh, it was really that Jim worked at like some magazine or something with Glenn on campus. So he was a writer. Um, and he's kind of playing it smooth. He basically is just kind of reading the article. Uh, and then in come Brandon Brandon to go to school. And they're cozying up to Jim and completely ignoring Cindy. He's like, how you doing, big guy? You know, hey, dad. Um, <laughs> yes, that is a direct quote. How you doing, big guy? <laughs> and then when they go to leave, he's like, I'll see you later. And they just ignore Cindy. And Cindy's like, what's up? And they're basically like, fuck off. <laughs> like, we're not talking to you. <laughs> um, so Jim is like, he had like almost an epiphany overnight or something because he's playing it cool. And he just says, Cindy, you know, I love you. And then he goes to work. Like, so he's, you know, doing the old Costanza, like, you know, getting his, putting the, the notes in Cindy's head before he leaves for work. So that's what she's thinking about while he's gone. Uh, but I think Jim really turned the turned the tide in the scene. Yeah, for sure. And with a little bit of time, you can tell he's come around and he's like, well, have, having thought on it a little bit, uh, mm. I can see more where Cindy is coming from. I got to do better. We've got to work on this thing. And, you know, despite my misgivings, if you can even call them that, about the just overly dramatic nature of what we saw earlier, um, this scene does wave off what could have been a huge uh, soap opera misunderstanding, uh, classic trope with Brandon and Brenda, like, spilling the beans, saying, oh, mom's fucking around with this guy. We caught her last night. But they they don't do that, which, Mm -hmm. um, look, we don't have a lot of time in the episode (laughs) left, but um, it's the type of thing that maybe later in the series they they would do. Um, But uh, this is not what the show is right now. Yeah, I thought this was like a bit of a missed opportunity. Like like you said, if they hadn't had like that twins B plot mm-hmm. going on, uh, I thought there could have been a great scene with like Brenda and Jim 
where like maybe that's where Jim has his like light bulb moment of like, okay, right. like this is affecting the family. I've talked to my daughter. I need to be a better dad. I need to show, you know, what a, a husband looks like, what a partner looks like. And like that's when the light bulb goes off for him, as opposed to like just kind of out of nowhere, like Jim comes to his senses and um, you know, tries to to bridge the gap here. But um yeah, that was that was my only takeaway really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because it's so episodic, we're just not getting the um like you said, Tim, this is the expansion of these stories where normally, yes, maybe we would have left on a cliffhanger where they say something. Um, that they saw Cindy and then the next episode we explore it further but yeah. instead we get a wrap up here before the time's up so uh, we don't so Jim who said he's going to work actually makes a pit stop at Glenn's Grotto uh, he goes in he's checking out his work and kind of unloads his whole life story talks about his fear of risk uh, with Glenn he says you know look I was like you I was kind of fancy free and then uh, Cindy got pregnant and you know I had to just lock it down. I had to go become an accountant and to get a good salary and give up the old dream. And Glenn basically says, well, you know, you're not missing much. Like you got, you know, someone to go home to and uh, some great kids and this and that. So they're both kind of grass is greener type thing, right? A little bit here. Uh, and then Jim comes in hot. He, I was wondering if mm-hmm. he was going to do this or not. Like, I didn't know if they were going to just go kind of chill Jim or he just kind of like gives him the passive aggressive, you know, like he did there. But no, he he amps it up. He goes full uh, 100 degrees and tells Glenn to respect my family, stay away from us. And Glenn basically says it's up to Cindy, right? So he's like admitting that he's making this play to Jim. Like he's going for yeah. his wife and basically kind of makes it like it's a toss up, right? That's I don't know if he still felt that way or not, but he tells Jim like this is Cindy's decision, not yours, bro. And Jim's just like, stay the fuck away. And you know, we kind of had Cindy's breakout last episode with um, Kelly uh, and Jackie Taylor. And I thought this was really like the first great gym scene uh, to show he's the king uh, because he just throws down on Glenn. And it's like, you know, and again, they could have just avoided it if they wanted to make yeah. kind of the gym, the non-confrontational per- type person or, you know, just more level headed. But no, he he tells Glenn, I know what you're doing. You know, you're being a prick stay the fuck away and just storms out. So I thought it's a pretty cool Marcus. Yeah. Again, it was like very Midwesty of Jim mm-hmm. to like handle like the ultimate conflict here. Right. Um, and he does so, so graciously and like with the least amount of, I think like violence or vigor as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was like, okay, he's, if he's showing up, like you got to throw hands, somebody's getting knocked out <laughs> and he's got to like take down the pictures of my wife and like, Something's getting set on fire, right? And like that's not exactly what happened. Body's but... getting disposed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this is taking a different turn. But I did like the um the shoulder block that Jim throws on his yeah. way out. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought that was great. But yeah, big big scene for Jim. The shoulder block is great. Big scene for Big Jim. The way he comes in there, guns blazing. Uh, you could just it's you could just as easily see it um, devolving into uh, fisticuffs. Like he just beats the shit out of him and, and leave leaves. But this is where we get a sense of just what Jim is about as a person. Just standing up for his convictions, using his words, um, but but making it very clear um, just who he is as a human being. And that's something we we really haven't seen from him um, in any other episode so far. So, yeah, good, real good character work in this confrontation that they have. 
All right, so coming off of that hot and heavy scene, we get some uh, comic relief as it's now time for the cast, the open casting call for the DJ. Uh, we get Donna going first, and she fucking bombs as always. It's terrible. Uh, still useless. <laughs> hates Donna. It's useless. Uh, Steve then comes in, and he's doing great, but then he realizes like there's people out there watching him, and he completely freezes up, just like mm-hmm. stammering and stumbling. Not so cool anymore. So David comes in and he's trying to pump Steve up. And then he says, decides in his own mind, like, hey, I could win this. I'm going to roast the fuck out of Steve. And he's like, tell <laughs> tell everyone why Kelly dumped you. <laughs> and just fucking blasts him. Uh, and then it starts rapping and everyone, like, loves it. So David lands the job. And I thought this is a cool scene for him at a big moment, which ends up being, like, a pretty big thing uh, for the show. Like, him being the DJ is is something that you know, plays a pretty big role in the series. So this is a pretty big moment for him. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed him roasting, realizing, like, try to be nicer in it, and then realizing quickly that Steve yep. would bury him in the scene. And, uh, you know, I should yep. do the same to get the job. Pretty ballsy there of young David Silver, just the burial Steve Sanders here when he starts to help him out, do a good deed. Just waves that shit off. Um, not that you would know it necessarily at the time from, again, just this little C plot with three scenes in the episode, but turns out to be a pretty big turning point for David. Um, as, as you mentioned, JT, this when you think of high school David Silver, he's he's heavily associated with, with this uh, DJ gig, which is going to lead to many other things. Only thing missing was... David looking into the camera and saying, do one to others as they would do one to you, <laughs> but do it first. <laughs> he has the chance to sink in the dagger and he, he delivers it yes. is deep in there. So, uh, but yeah, again, yeah. the chemistry between these two is great. Mm-hmm. No, they're great. They've been great. We haven't got enough of them lately since the early episode, uh, first couple, but it's, it's, you know, we'll get, obviously get a lot more. So it's good to have them here. And David has a new job. Uh, Miss Ryan's back. She tells Brandon and Brenda that Stratmore loved them. They make a great team. Uh, she was impressed with them. So, you know, they, all along they thought they were, you know, blowing this thing. Mm-hmm. And now we hear instead that Stratmore is impressed and they each kind of, you know, smile and, and move on. Uh, Glenn then shows up and he's there. Cindy's basically like, all right, Glenn, what are you doing? And he's like, no, no, I'm here to give you your pictures. Uh, and then Cindy pretty much finally puts an end to the nonsense. Glenn says his conscience shook him out of it, uh, which I thought was still pretty cocky. Like he doesn't give Jim any credit. He takes it on himself, he tries yeah. to make himself look good here and basically says, I realized I was being wrong. Uh, so I, I woke up and I'm going to stop when obviously, as we know, in reality, uh, the truth is that Jim, you know, shook him made down. Made him fear for his life. <laughs> and Glenn says he's heading to Canada. Uh, so. Uh, he's, he's headed off to the great white North. Uh, and I just, again, he, he kind of sucks, uh, <laughs> overall. Um, yes. One thing was interesting though, his car looked just like Dylan's. And like, I, I was wondering if there was going to be some angle where like he, he sells his car to Dylan before going to Canada. Oh God. <laughs> it looked wow. just like it. The one that Dylan will, you know, his infamous car that we'll get to know and love, but yeah, uh, I'm not a car guy. So I, I often miss details like that but yeah you're right it's it's very i i wonder if they i don't know i i wonder if they reuse it or something probably um, reuse mm-hmm. the prop 
So what do you think of uh, Glenn going to Canada, Tim? Uh, um, out? You think he's really going to Canada, or do you think he's just telling? I, us I mean, it's it's awfully abrupt. So I'm I'm kind of I kind of doubt it. Um, L.A. is a big city, even though these shows act like it's the smallest place in the world. So it's it's sort of like what are the odds that he's really going to run into Cindy again when he's right. not actively pursuing her? So yeah, it comes off as a, a big bunch of bullshit. I sort of wonder if the show thinks it's presenting him in a noble light the way he um kind of takes his exit here whereas to you and i it just reads as well jim put the fear of god into him and <laughs> now he's yeah he's I, bouncing, I think the show was trying to portray it like he yeah he was just like kind of he's admitting he came to his senses after jim talked to him right 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 i think oh, it's what I maybe we're supposed to think but mm-hmm. it comes off as him this like it was all his idea that's how uh, that's how this guy plays it. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Marcus, of uh, Glenn's oh, final uh, well? Yeah, he comes back with his tail tucked in between his legs, uh, and then yeah, like he said, like him going up to Canada seems like a cop out. Um, but like he is so successful, it seems. So maybe he did have like several offers on the table right. to like go where he wants to go, or maybe his work is done. Uh, I thought this was interesting, like. I don't know if this was on purpose, but like the what I took away from this was like, I guess, you know, in these situations, maybe the show is trying to make it clear for maybe kids who have been in the situation Uh that like if your parents had the situation happen, but maybe your mom or your dad ended up with, you know, the outside person coming in and they split like to not heal up, you know, the, the third person coming into the situation. Uh, and showing that, like, hey, you know, maybe your parents, one of your parents and and this other person, you know, had their midlife crisis cross paths at the same time. And so I was like, maybe that's what the show is trying to communicate that, you know, yeah, he was trying to do a bad thing, um, but it doesn't make him a bad person necessarily. All right. So Brendan and Brendan, Brenda and Brandon. Uh, come driving back and they catch Glenn at the house and Brandon says, oh, mom, mom's having a nooner. Uh, <laughs> and Brenda's like, what the fuck is a nooner? Uh, and uh, it turns out Glenn basically, you know, says you're great kids and blah, blah, blah. I'm out of here and pieces out. So they seem relieved that there's no nooner uh, right. going on. It ain't food. <laughs> it ain't food, Brenda. Uh, I guess he wasn't sharp enough to use afternoon delight quite yet at that point. Um, guess not. So uh, that's that. He's out. Uh, then we come back in the house. In comes Jim. Says he left work early and he's taking Cindy on an overnight for the anniversary. And they run off and he just says, if as long as you love me, I'm good. And she mm-hmm. does. And they go pack their bags. So we get a pretty happy ending to this tough episode, uh, which, again, I, th- I think the episode was fine. Um, I-, I think they needed to blow off the early struggles with Jim and Cindy and kind of reset the Walsh parent relationship so i'm guessing we're maybe kind of be past like this piece like the frostiness of the relationship seems to be put to bed um big scene for jim in here i, I thought glenn kind of sucked uh both the way they wrote him and the actor like i thought he didn't put himself in a position to be likable in any way or like you said tim kind of uh where we're supposed to feel some redemption for him at all he's he portrays it like an asshole and it, it comes across that way the whole time uh we get the comedy of brandon uh Brandon and Brenda, and then some great stuff with David. So I ended up being a pretty middle of the road episode, especially coming off the amazing one 
uh, that we had last week, Tim, or last uh, time around. Yeah, it's a tough come down for sure. And I think coming off the heels of maybe another average episode, this might compare more favorably. It's just it, it doesn't have a lot of hope after the, the Jackie Taylor <laughs> tour de force. Um, although I, I will say I, I kind of liked it better having talked through it. Uh, it's super uneven, but I don't know. I took a weird sort of liking to this one, um, sort of despite my my first impression. I do think it's um, it was sort of an odd choice to make Glenn as much of an antagonist, as much of a pursuer as he really was in this episode. Um, I think the the more logical play again in this very episodic first season would him to just be there as more of a almost neutral party and and just object of desire for cindy without him going for it as as hard as he does um because again it, it just it makes him kind of come off badly in a way that the i don't think the show wants him to not that it really matters it, it's just weird like this is all here to serve as character development for cindy and jim really and it's like you got to factor in this other guy and what kind of character he is and it's i don't know it, it kind of muddies the waters a little bit for me but, um, I mean, it does lead to that great, again, confrontation between Jim and Glenn, which we really wouldn't have otherwise, I, I feel like. So, that's, I just sort of have mixed feelings on it altogether. Leaning positive, though. I loved it. I thought, I thought it was dope. Really? Uh, yeah. And, you know, I haven't seen too many episodes of the show at all. But, um, yeah, they went, they went, like, all in with, like this is what we're going to be talking about. And I was expecting a little bit more as far as like seeing the other characters and like other storylines. But like, like you said, like the B and C plot were more like, you know, D and E plots. Like they were not really consequential at all. But um, yeah, I thought, I thought it really delivered, like just checking in, um, you know, as as a very, you know, newbie, I was pleased. Um, You know, I thought it was a, a tough issue to address and, uh, I like that they went all in on it. And so you hooked now? You're gonna keep watching? I, I think I think I am hooked. I want to see what happens. Um, oh. If like if this is like resetting of the table and like the family dynamic, it would kind of explain like as the show goes on, if it focuses more on more on the kids um, and less on parents. It's like okay, Cindy had her <laughs> Cindy had her entanglement. She had her <laughs> moment of excitement, and uh, she realized she's not about that life. So she's just gonna settle in, uh, you know, let Jim keep bringing home the bacon and uh, do her own thing and, and mind her own business, keep her nose clean. All right. Uh, so that'll wrap up the actual episode itself. It is now time for our awards. So let's dig into that. Our best scene. Uh, to me, I, I had a few in the running, but I think at the end, uh, pretty easily, hands down, was Jim and Glenn in the grotto with Jim throwing it down. Yeah, I would back that up. It took us a while to get there, but um, that was the standout for me as well. Yep, I had the same. Uh, I went back and forth a couple of times, but once that scene happened, I was like, okay, that's this is the scene. All right, most important scene. Um, I think the most important scene for the episode would be at the garden center where Glenn shows up. But I think for the show, the most important mm-hmm. scene is David getting the DJ gig. Like that's the one mm-hmm. thing that really is going to carry forward. Unless you want to say Jim and Cindy reconciling, I guess. But to me, this is like, you know, the biggest thing that'll last years. Like, like the next like four seasons, David's in this DJ booth and storylines run through there. So 
it's a pretty big occurrence in like the lowest level plot of an early episode of season one. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those categories you can only really talk about with with the benefit of hindsight, but just knowing what else what this is going to lead to for David, I I had the same thing. Uh, yeah, I have very little knowledge, David. Like once you said he's a DJ, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, so like that that makes sense. I would understand that, but for me, I had it the dinner scene uh, just because of like the way that Cindy responded. Um, I thought like it made it really clear, like, oh, she is a very willing participant mm-hmm. in, um, you know, possibly this marriage like, going completely off the rails. Like she's mm-hmm. kind of ready for it to end. All right. Most 90s look, uh, there was a student early on that had a pink tank top and jorts on. Uh, it was like one of the first scenes in the school. So I, I noted that one. Um, that's a good one. I, I have a uh, Kelly. As she is dressed at the at Glenn's um, photography show, and what I can only describe as um, gold uh, drink rings from head to toe, <laughs> you know those um, those plastic drink rings you're supposed to, you know, cut into pieces so that they don't strangle the the uh, sea turtles. <laughs> she was wearing those quite fashionably. And I had Kelly, I think, I believe it was Kelly. Uh, Kelly was in the school with Brenda and I only described it as Kelly is wearing the Diana Hart Smith jacket. (laughs) That that was my second. (laughs) I popped so hard. I I was like, okay, that's the most nineties thing. You just needed some gloves, huh? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, all right. So most nineties moments, uh, I had a couple, I had Cindy using toilet water. And uh, the open casting call for a school radio DJ. I don't know if there's still DJs in schools, but high school having a, a radio DJ booth spinning tunes and talking smack all day felt very 90s to me. I was stumped on this one until our conversation about the toilet water. And I decided, mm-hmm. yeah, the toilet is, is a very 90s thing. Uh, for me, I had the just like the twins obsession. Like we talked about it. <laughs> yes, that's very, it's very reflective of the nineties where like twins are these unknown entity. They exist on <laughs> Mars and nobody's ever seen them before or since. That's a good one. All right. Best lesson learned. Don't become an accountant. That's what I picked up from this episode. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That, um, you know, don't let your work consume your life. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I thought Marcus, you raised a good point earlier just in in stating that had this episode gone maybe in a different direction, which it it can't because that would blow up the show. But, you know, many kids maybe being able to relate to this type of situation and um, having it play out in a way where, you know, their parents did actually split up and making the point that that doesn't necessarily mean that you did anything wrong or that, either of your parents are bad people. It's just this, this episode really lays out and illustrates how that can happen. And I don't know. I, I feel like maybe it can help kids who are watching this at the time, see and understand their parents as, as actual human beings, um, just like anyone else. Uh, and my lesson was never snitch on yourself because, <laughs> um, I, Oh, shoot. Uh, the mom's name. Uh, Cindy. Cindy's about to tell Jim at the very end of the episode, like, hey, uh, you should know, like, I made out with Glenn. And mm. she 
like get stopped in her tracks because Jim's like having this adrenaline high of like being a man and going to take her out. And, you know, he's got this alpha male moment and like she she almost ruined her life completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah, my lesson is uh, don't snitch on yourself. That's a good one. All right, best hookup, uh, you know, probably just has to be Glenn and Sydney in this one. <laughs> Pretty hot. Yep. All right, I had a few best quotes. Uh, the IRS doesn't know it's our anniversary. That was Jim when he said he had to work instead of bang. Uh, I always figured you for a National G reader. That was Glenn talking to Jim about, uh, mm. or Cindy about being a National Geographic uh, reader. There's just the use of National G. National uh, G. <laughs> You know, I'd like to shoot you too, Glenn. Not sounding flaky, what he was intending to say. And then uh, Kelly's, all these gorgeous women, and he picked your mom. Um, oh, and then also, uh, you're the most, you're the most modest, conceited man I know. That was Cindy to Glenn as well. So, uh, a night full of backhanded compliments here. I, I feel like I was waiting forever for one to really pop me. Um, but yeah, I got to give it to you at. at the very end, Brandon and Brenda in the car. Man, mom having a nooner. <laughs> uh, I had two written down. Uh, the first one comes from Cindy, and this is after Glenn says like he can get her a discount, and she says, "Okay, dinner and dessert." I thought that was very, uh, very leading to mm-hmm. where things could be headed. And then the other one was, I believe, right before the kiss on the bridge. Glenn says, I'm ready to settle down, but I'm not willing to settle, Cindy. And I thought that that was that was his closer like that. Mm-hmm. That was such a smooth line. Um, flawless delivery. Still failed. No wonder he was so mad. <sighs> All right. Let's do our trackers and then we're out of here. So the real songs we heard or would have heard tonight. Love Generation by Soho and DJ Mike MC announces retirement. Uh, Being Cool by Javon. That's when Glenn and Cindy are driving around L.A. in the convertible. And as you noted earlier, Tim, Heart Shape World by Chris Isaac is when Cindy's on the balcony uh, moving around the room listening to the music. So that's that. Uh, We have our debut characters. We had Glenn Evans. We had the Creepy Twins. We have Mrs. Stratmore and accountant Bob Gordon with Chip's buddy. <laughs> wow. Uh, who's the character debut. Yeah. Uh, relationships, I noted Cindy and Glenn and David in the DJ booth. I feel like that was worth calling out as a relationship. Yes. And and then uh, debut places and things. I had uh, the DJ booth because we hadn't really seen it before, uh, even though we've heard of DJ Mike in the past. And then Glenn's Grotto. I thought Glenn's was, uh, Grotto. I, I thought it was worth a call out for the big scene with Jim. So I would agree. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Let's do our character rankings, um, and then we can hit it. So uh, what we usually do, Marcus, as you know, is we rank the characters kind of in this episode, but also as they continue to perform overall. Uh, they get episode points, uh, or you know, points in reverse order, and then those points end up getting applied to the total that we'll hit uh, to see where everything stands. So we currently have 13 uh, main characters. We added Jackie Taylor last episode. Uh, so what we've been doing, Tim, uh, well, at least we kind of started this last episode. If someone's not in the episode, they don't get any points. They just get a flat zero. Yeah, so right off the bat, we know that uh, nah. Dylan and Andrea laid an egg this episode. Just no show, no points. And Nat. Um, and that, yep, I guess. And Jackie. Jackie, since they're on our list, yeah. 
Okay. So they're all zeros. So that's that's going to hurt uh, a couple of these. Andrea is just making a big push, too, mm, after yeah. the last episode. Yeah. Uh, suck it, Basuccio. All right. So that's the bottom. I'm guessing we're going to go with our standard Donna Donna next. Or would you go Kelly below her in this one? Well, Kelly at least had the dig. Uh, I, Scott, maybe. Oh, was, Scott. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Donna least put herself out there. Donna at least put herself out there, yeah. Okay, but Scott does get five points because... He's here. Yeah. The bottom's the zeros, and that's the bottom four, so... Um, or I guess... I mean, that's how I did it last time. Did I do that wrong? Should I have done... We only go to, like, nine is the most you can get? Or do you, like, start from the top and go to the bottom? Still gets five for being here. Um, I mean, I kind of like gets five for showing up. Okay. Um, okay. you know, the only ones who should get nothing would be. Well, they wouldn't get yesterday. nothing, but I don't know if they should go one and we go to a, a max oh. nine instead of four to 13 or whatever. Five. Right. Uh, right. We'll, we'll do that. Whatever. Uh, all right. So Scott gets five. Uh, I guess Donna gets six ahead of Kelly or I mean, uh, below Kelly. Yes. Yeah. Still below Kelly. Okay. It was close, though, because she at least put herself out there and butchered the thing. True, yeah. yeah. All right, so Kelly Kelly, Kelly is seven. a little, I think, maybe a little bit buoyed by her, her last big episode. But just thinking it in, ter- in isolation, like, I don't know. I thought she and Brenda had a nice little talk. Um, yeah, where, she did a lot more, for sure. Yeah, like, she, Br- Kelly is, like, kind of helping Brenda to see uh, her parents and then their relationship in more realistic terms. Mm-hmm. So that's valuable. So would you guys have Kelly above Steve? Yeah, for this episode, yeah. That's just me, yeah. though. Yeah. Um, yeah I think Steve she added is, more to it. She did add more. Steve has always helped by any anything with him and David, I think, mm-hmm. boosts Steve just because they have such good chemistry. But, I mean, it's not like he makes a good showing. You know, he gets buried and makes an ass of himself in front of the whole school. So yeah, put Kelly above Steve. All right. So that leaves us with Jim, Cindy, Brandon, and Brenda. So I think David. I'd have, Oh, and David. Um, all right. So that's our five. So uh, are we going Jim one or Cindy one? What's, what's our choice here? <sighs> I, mean, I think they're one, two for sure. Yeah. See, See, Jim's kind of a sleeper because he takes a minute to break out. But when he does, he he really kind of takes the episode. But Cindy, I think, he, I think Jim would be my one. I, I think he was he? that scene was so good. Yeah. And he goes through the most like change throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But at the same time, Cindy kind of carries it. Mm. She she sort of has to do the the heavy lifting throughout most i don't know what do you think marcus um i in 2021 eyes i think like they're both equal but at the going back and looking at it at the time i do think the episode's more about jim um and it's more about him like digging deep and getting you know getting that moment of manhood and having that you know that alpha blood flow Mm. um because like they take the episode home on like him coming in house of fire i'm taking you out we're doing this the kids are going to be fine like he's got everything planned so i i think just like the finish of the show just inches jim above cindy okay i can i can see that yep so somewhat controversially we'll say jim is our favorite here yeah i'm, I'm with marcus i think things turn when he starts stepping up so yeah 
Uh, all right, so that leaves us Brendan. Brenda. I'm going to do that for the end of time. Brandon, Brenda, and David for this middle three spots. Um, I mean, uh, 10, 10, uh, 11, 10, and 9. I think Brenda's next. I think she just puts in a better showing here than Brandon, who... Would you have David above Brandon? I'm debating it. I thought about it, but... I... Brandon was such a dick. Like, he really was. <laughs> he was he was a jerk. Like he he didn't have many productive moments. <laughs> he had a really bad showing. Just yeah, me coming in the a, first time. Not good. Like he's in it more, certainly, but I think I'm going David. I think he had yeah. more going. Like just it was a better episode for it, him. And it's more important in the long run what happens with David. So I'm fine with putting him over Brandon. So this is the second episode in a row. Brandon finishes more in the middle. Um, mm. We'll see if it affects the overall score. So I'm going to work on that, Tim. Why don't you tell us what you got going on? Any plugs? Um, yes. So on our sort of sister affiliate network, that is known as the Jenny position curated by our good friend, former guest of this show, Jennifer Smith, uh, for the month of October, she has revived an old favorite podcast that is known as Freak Out Drive-In, otherwise known as FODI. Uh, so each Friday throughout the month of October, she's going to be releasing a new episode of Freak Out Drive-In with a new guest. This is a watch-along show. It's a horror-themed podcast. I was actually Jenny's first guest on the revived FODI, and we watched uh, the family classic uh, known as Hellraiser together. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's I'm sure a favorite in your household as well, uh, JT. Um, but you were also on it, so we got you in there. Uh, got some more uh, friends as well of the show. So check out Freak Out Driving. Check out uh, the Jenny Position. Uh, Jenny and I also releasing an episode of our monthly podcast together, known as Talking Pop. And as you might expect, it is a Halloween special, a Halloween. Spooktacular. This is what we kind of wanted to do last year. We always sort of talk around doing a show like that and then never do it. Well, we had our shit together this year and we did it. And it was a lot of fun. Um, we did a very loose live watch. It was more like a, uh, a movie playing in the background while we talked about other various subjects. And uh, that movie was Arachnophobia. So uh, anyone with a fear of spiders will... Uh, be sure to tune into that. That is on the Jenny position. And you can follow me on social media if you're so inclined. I am at Psyche68CYKE68 on the Twitter. And I think that's going to do it for my purposes. How are you feeling, JT? I'm doing all right. Uh, let's hear what Marcus has going on, and then we'll go through our final rankings. Excellent. Yeah, you can. You can check me out right here on the North-South Connection after every major WWE pay-per-view and AEW pay-per-view as well with my best friend and co-host, Tim, not the Toolman Taylor. For a Viewer's Choice podcast, uh, where basically we tell you what to watch, what to skip, and uh, give our personal thoughts about all the events that just happened. And that goes uh, that goes into the stratosphere to download and listen to uh, pretty much within the next hour or two after the pay-per-view is over tim is right on that right away so uh couldn't do it without him and you can catch us over on the soon-to-be-named network where we do final wrestling place where we take the nouns of professional wrestling and we put them into either the good place or the bad place currently we are doing the raw guest host era where we are doing a power rankings of the raw guest hosts 
and then taking them separately and putting them in the good or bad place. And you can also catch me uh, November 6th for Flying V Fights Back. That is going to be in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, I'll be putting on the trunks and doing my thing there. So uh, if you're there, if you're in the neighborhood, come and uh, check me out. And that will also be streaming on independentwrestling.tv um, probably a couple weeks after the fact. All right. Very good. Uh, and be sure to check out everything else here on the North-South Connection. We appreciate uh, everyone who checks us out and listens. And, you know, Tim, we usually mention we forgot to do it tonight so far. But listen, if you're a big Nato 2 fan you want to be on the show, uh, just reach out to us, whether you've done a yeah. podcast before or not. Uh, we're look, always looking for new guests. We're booked pretty pretty far out so far, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but there are still a couple slots left in season one. So if you want to get in, just reach out to us on social media. I'm at JT the Pod Guy uh, on Twitter. Message yep. me there or just post on whatever, you know, if you see this on Facebook, comment there or just, you know, reach out. There's ways to find us, North South Connection. We have our own Facebook page as well. So uh, just let us know and we'll, we'll be happy to add you to the mix and get you on the show. Um, so that's that. Let's do our final rankings. And then we're out of here. Still in third. Uh, what was that? I can't wait. Oh, okay. Me neither. The way that our, our rankings got restacked after our last episode, it, I, I don't know what to expect here. Okay, it's madness. Nat's still in the basement with 11. Then uh, Jackie Taylor with 13 points. Donna Martin with 18 points. So she's making a little climb, finally. Mm. Scott Scanlon at 25. Andrea Zuckerman with 40 points. Kelly Taylor just above her with 50. It feels like Kelly would be higher, but I think she just started so low. Um, So she's just starting to make her move. David Silver at 53 points. Jim Walsh checks in with 55 after his big uh, number one performance tonight. Steve Sanders, uh, in that starts our top five. He has 56 points. Dylan McKay, still in our top four with 57 points, despite not being in the last two episodes. Uh, he's still hanging in. Cindy Walsh is now into third place with 66 points. She has passed Dylan. Uh, Brenda Walsh with 77, and she is closing in on her brother, Brandon Walsh, at 82. So Brandon, what seemed to have an insurmountable lead early, uh, is starting to get chipped away here as we move forward. Um, and so... Any uh, surprises for you guys there? Just that the older Walshes are as high as they are. Honestly. <laughs> it's, I mean, I know it's season one, but who really mm-hmm. saw that coming? And, and I wonder if this will continue to be a theme of, you know, Brandon maybe falling, Kelly ascending. You wonder when Donna's actually going to do anything. You know, it's just still a lot of things, a lot of big things coming up here. Uh, yeah, so, I mean... It'll be interesting if they build enough of a lead to, like, stay up high, even when they start to fade back, you know? Yeah. Um, Cindy, for sure, is, is up there, so we'll see how that holds. But, I mean, as soon as Dylan starts getting back into the mix, you know, know. he's going to climb he's, quickly. So. Yeah, he's really just hurt by his absences. Um, any episode he's in, he kind of rockets to the top. All right. Well, listen, this was a lot of fun, as always. We're here every two to three weeks on the North-South Connection, so you'll you know either subscribe, you can leave us some feedback, you can rate us, or just keep an eye on our social media for the newest episodes when they drop. And uh, stay tuned for more great 90210 action. A little dim sum, a little dense sum. We're out. Talk to you soon.
Your heart, she would. Your heart, she would.